I'm Piercy Janwell, and you're listening to Unsubscribed. Every episode, I sit down with business leaders to help you question everything you thought you knew about marketing. If you enjoy this show, please do subscribe and leave a review on YouTube or your favorite podcast player. Now, on to this week's episode. All right, today on the podcast, we're joined by Rosemary Deal. Rose is the Director of Marketing Operations at Verizon Media. And prior to that, she was the head of B2B demand generation at Yahoo. Yahoo. She has extensive experience in the enterprise B2B space across both campaigns and operations. And I'm really excited to have her on today. So thanks so much for joining us today, Rose. Thanks so much for having me, Pierce. How are things going? How are you uh, keeping busy during COVID? It feels actually busier now during COVID doing the um, distance learning. So the, the homeschool situation and, you know, the home office, dual home office situation at the home front too. So there's a yeah. lot of things going on. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty wild. How, how are your kids doing with the, uh, the virtual schooling? I have one son and he's in fourth grade. And, you know, I think some days are better than others. I'm sure that's the case for many parents. But um, just trying to make sure that, you know, he's able to pay attention during the time. Because it, it is a lot of time in front of the screen. Yeah. Um, but he's yeah. doing as best as he can, I think. That's as with good. That's it, right? I feel like everyone is getting very good at adapting and changing. And uh, I was at... Uh, a pumpkin patch over the weekend with my kids and like even though we were outside everyone had masks on and it was it was just you know it hasn't been that long but it seems like everyone's kind of just like yeah this is what we do now and make the most of it I know it's like the new normal even <laughs> um there now that um for my son he's able to get back to some um sort of baseball type of team. It's they're not playing oh, in cool. the league, but it's just within a team. But even still, you know, I think the kids really enjoy having the opportunity to just be among other kids, even, you know, mask up all the time, but they get to play with each other and do some activity outdoors. So that's kind of nice. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Uh, it's so important too, to just get out and see other humans. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Realize that it's not just, you know, the virtual people you see on the Zoom calls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, I think we have a lot of topics to cover today. You know, one that I always like to start with is just, you know, how did you end up in, in marketing ops? For a lot of people that didn't even really exist when when I find a lot of people on the podcast who have come on. But curious for you how, how that happened. So my journey actually started um, way back when, um, when I was at a company called Candle Corp. Um, I started in sales operations. And then the segue into marketing ops um, came about because I worked closely with the marketing team. And so that opportunity came about. And so um, back then it was still very early on. Uh, we were using Siebel at the time and um, yeah. just developing um, developing campaigns there. So um, that, was, that was essentially my start. And I've been in marketing ops since. Um, 
I've had the opportunity to, to dabble on both the B2B and the B2C side over time, but um, I really do enjoy operations. I think it's just because I'm analytically minded and there's a lot of things that you can do there for marketing ops. So I'd imagine since the Siebel days, a lot of the, the technology has changed. What, what do you think is the biggest change, you know, if you were com- to compare then and now? Everything is so rapid, you know, like there's so many emerging channels um, in the last, even in the last five years, I feel like um, the evolution of technology is like you need to keep up with it or else you get behind. Um, what's interesting is that I remember even um, when I was before the acquisition of Verizon, right? We had iterations of being um, Oath. And then prior to that, I was at Yahoo. And I remember um, one of the vendors that we had used back then, um, you know, was, well, let me just step back and say, you know, we were um, entering into mobile, right? And that wasn't a priority for the the vendor that we were working with. And we just were like, what? (laughs) We need to, this is critical to our strategy. And so, I mean, needless to say, we no longer use that vendor, but it was, um, it was kind of like one of those moments where it's like, if you, if you miss the boat or if, you know, your strategy doesn't account for these rapid changes in technology, you know, you're going to miss out on a lot of opportunity or the ability to evolve and innovate. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's definitely not a space where you can just be like, oh, well, this is how I do it. And I'm going to do it like this forever. You really have to innovate or get left behind. Yeah, absolutely. And it is almost like you need to, you need to evaluate. I want to say every, like, um, at minimum every year, but almost on a half yearly basis, like look at your tech stack and and think about are there any gaps um, that you're not accounting for in your channels as you continue to grow. Um, so that's something that we try to you know, stay abreast with. It's challenging because there are so many different emerging technologies that it's like, which one are you going to um, dabble in? Because, you know, it's not like your budgets are... Um, you know, a bottomless pit, right? So you need to make some good choices. And some of it is like, you need to think about what kind of technologies do you think you can win in or um, grow in um, that is worth the investment. So there's there's that too. For sure. Yeah, it can get a little bit, uh, seem like a bit of a daunting task when you look at like the MarTech, however many thousands of vendors there are in there. Um, I don't know about you, but I always look at that thing and I'm like, I haven't heard of 95% of these tools. And I wonder, like, well, someone must be using them. I agree. And I think like there's like these niches everywhere, depending on, you know, um, the small businesses. And then there's a lot of different pockets just um from a national perspective, right? Different markets within them, different opportunities for small um, tech companies to integrate and um, and impact their local businesses, right? So that's where they get their foot in the door. But that's where there's so many like choices for um, marketing automation tools and CRM tools that fit the breadth of the budgets. And but the challenge too is like you know um, how how do these tools integrate and grow with others? So that's that's um, what I'm always curious about. Um, 
Right. Yeah. yeah. The integrations are just such a huge part of, of the whole system, right? And like how how are the different systems talking to each other? You know, is are, is the data flowing? It's uh yeah, it's uh, it's a complicated space for sure that requires a lot of attention to what's going on and, and details, I think. Um, so so what what does like a typical day look like for you, Rose? Well, a typical in in um, the pandemic era. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or yeah, a typical sure. like pre I mean, we're pandemic. <laughs> Maybe pre-pandemic, although I'm curious how it's changed for you. Oh, I can go into that too. Um, pre-pandemic, you know, the day, uh, the typical day, I would say I would extend it to a week because it's hard to look at a day. Um, you know, we review the campaigns um, that are upcoming uh, with our campaign managers and leads and then look at how we go about executing them. So there's a variety of channels that we look at. And then there's also like looking at um, ways that we need to connect the pipes at times, depending on what the channel is. And so um, for my team, I think every day is unique in that sense, because um, we have such a breadth of different types of campaigns that we need to be able to be nimble to think about, okay, what are our recommendations and how do we make sure that we optimize for the campaign's outcome. Nice. And and how would you say that's changed uh, given the with the pandemic? So with the pandemic, you know, that was actually um, it was almost like we had to pivot quickly. And a lot of the channels, um, because primarily everyone was dependent on digital. So while the email channel has already been set. Um, what we really saw growth in is just the pivot, the hard, quick pivot to virtual events, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's looking yeah. at the tools that will allow us to um, capture and mimic that that same uh, event experience, but now in, in the virtual world that we live in, right? So it's looking at those tools, the video, video live streaming, um, on demand, all of those things, and and then how we're able to um, touch our customers and prospects um, and still reach out to give them that experience, you know? And I think um, now that we've been into this pandemic period for such a long time, I feel like there, we are seeing that fatigue because those are the main channels that people are able to participate in, right? right. And so it's like, how do you keep it fresh and how do you keep your content um, unique and different to keep people still engaged and interested? Yeah, I mean, there's just a huge flood of virtual events, right? Because you can't really do any other type of event. Um, what are you guys doing? Uh, have you tried anything in particular to kind of differentiate you from the other virtual events out there? I think there's several things that we've been doing, right? We've, we've been looking at different vendors. We've also been looking at implementing BlueJeans which is something that Verizon had recently acquired. And uh, that has been really helpful for us. To It was a new learning for us, but it was a win-win, I think, because I think that event experience brings um, a really rich um, experience for, for our, our audience. 
Um, and it's been fun to learn the ins and outs of it too. You know, um, there is definitely more a production piece. And what's nice is, you know, with this, we have been working closer to our events team just because, um, you know, now that they're, they're also um, in a new space where it's more uh, virtual event heavy, of course, but um, that interaction has been, has been nice to like uncover and see the different perspectives that we both Yeah, see. that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is cool to me, all of the benefits that end up happening from this, right? Like you working closer to the events team who were probably historically out in the field and running events more kind of autonomously. And now you guys can come together and, and work together. All right, would you say that you're running the same amount of events now that you were in the past or are there less kind of virtual events than you had physical events? Well, I feel like there, I mean, um, it feels like a lot more just because it is now through the same channel, but I think we just have more visibility to it, right? So the difference mm -hmm. is that there's more engagement with my team and our digital marketing team as well um, to help execute the, these events and, um, and then, you know, in, in partnership with our events team, right? So there's a lot more collaboration involved and um, visibility and learning on each group's processes that, that wasn't as transparent before, right? So it is, it's nice because it's like there's more coordination and there's that area of growth, right? There's kind of the cross-pollination too of like looking at, you know, what are, what are the roles and responsibilities now? So there is a little bit of that um, learning across the board, I think. Do nice. you see that as well? Nice. I mean, it, it's been an interesting, it's been an interesting process and it's continuing to evolve, right? Because it's still like, you know, when we initially pivoted, there were already events that had been planned that had at the last minute pivoted to virtual events. So there was a lot of, um, you know, scrambling for a lack of a better word, but that's truly what it is because when you don't have the ability to plan and things had already been planned, it's like, you know, those folks that either have a wedding or a big event and all of a sudden you can't do that again. So it's like, how can you pivot and still make it the experience that everybody's expecting, um, just executing it in a different way, in a different channel. So, yeah. Totally. I, yeah. Yeah, we, we definitely saw that. I mean, our own team felt that we were ramping up for a bunch of big trade shows that we had invested a, like a ton of time and money into and had to figure out what else we were going to do. And in our own platform, we saw like the number of emails created, like just exploded during COVID because all of the yeah, you know, people had to shift to digital and that became like a main channel for a lot of virtual events or events that would have happened through like personal emails or phone calls, everything kind of went digital. So uh, yeah, definitely experience that. And, you know, it's, it's just interesting, right? Like we had marketing ops people who actually had sales people who they wanted to understand how to send emails like how to send mass emails which i don't think 
before this happened, we would have ever heard of something like that. But um, yeah, everything changed. Absolutely. I feel definitely that we have um, strengthened our partnership with sales because of that reason, right? Because they're used to the high touch, being able to talk to their contacts and coordinate that. And so it's like, yeah. how do we, how do we recreate that and still, um, but leverage some automation. So the lift isn't so heavy for each of the sales reps, but we still wanted that personalization. Um, so what's nice is yeah. I think, um, we've been using our tools a lot more um, because of that uh, with our CRM and marketing automation and looking at um, ways that we can, we can do that. And then they can also take a look at how their contacts are um, engaging, which is, which is nice. They're more vested, let's say. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's like a, maybe a bit more of an appreciation than there has been in the past and an understanding of like, how it works on both sides. Um, and and I, I feel for the salespeople as well, because I feel for them, you know, a lot of, you know, especially B2B sales is in person, going out for dinners, you know, meeting in person and building that relationship and taking that away, I, I'd imagine has, has made it a lot harder for them. Absolutely. Yeah. So trying yeah. to recreate those events. I'm curious how you feel about the virtual events. Do you feel the technology is there to simulate uh, an in-person event? Where, where do you think we stand with that? I think, you know what, um, in some aspects, I think um, when you have targeted audiences and it's small, intimate events, it's really nice. We were able to create some of those events for some of our um, clients. And um, I think that that was well received. Um, it was a digital neighbors, um, digital neighbors campaign that we had created. And um, what's nice is you get those uh, unique experiences. Although the challenge is, you know, you because there are so many events that everybody is putting on, you, you can't um, produce that type of event that frequently right because there's all there's the fatigue right. but there's also the time aspect because with everybody in front of their computers now you know um either with their internal meetings or these events there's just um time now is becoming uh such a a commodity for people that it's like you need to really be um make sure well you need to really make sure that the events you're offering um is is something that is relevant to your audience and is at, happening at a critical time and provide that differentiator of why they should join yours versus all of the other ones that they have in their inbox right. that they can, <laughs> that they can yeah. sign up for. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that is the biggest challenge. And, you know, everyone has so many Zooms every day and, and how can you get them to commit to another one? I think the, the call to action has to be much stronger than it used to in the past. Um, and I, I've seen some people get creative. Um, someone I know, he, he actually had, uh, he hired like a bartender from some New York City cocktail uh, bar 
to actually come and do an event for his customers. And so he sent them all of the ingredients beforehand, and then they actually all made the cocktails together, which I thought was really something different and creative that, that they were able to do. Yes, we that was something similar that we had done too. There were um, in our digital neighbors series one one of them that I was able to uh, participate in and just to watch it was um, being able to make a cake, and that was awesome because oh, then you cool. get the ingredients and then it's actually fun to kind of go through the steps in like a live cooking show. Um, but but those types of experiences are really fun when when done nicely and in in that intimate setting it's great because then you kind of share that camaraderie and experience with a small group of folks you know so yeah. it does yeah. try to mimic you know that that in-person like intimate dinner type of thing that um, maybe sales would do at trade shows or conferences so right yeah. right yeah, well, I notice a theme with both of our kind of examples, which is they're doing something fun that's kind of not necessarily work related. And I think at the end of the day, it is experiences that you're trying to offer people. And maybe that's, you know, the best thing for even companies to do is, is uh, create that more human element. Uh, yeah, um, absolutely. So Rose, I know you've, you know, you've worked at, um, at some pretty large companies over the years. H how did you get into kind of the enterprise space? And uh, wh what is it that, that you really like about working in that space? Well, you know, it's interesting. I think I came into the enterprise space as a result of a series of acquisitions. And that's been true across my journey in marketing ops, right? I'd mentioned that I started um, at a company called Candle and that was a small company, local company at the time. And it had eventually gotten um, acquired by IBM. And so another big enterprise company. So, so that was very interesting too, right? Because in that experience, um, what what they had done was like we basically integrated into the processes and systems that were already in place right so they looked at what we were doing they quickly translated it and we migrated um all of our systems into their existing systems and processes and so that was like oh my goodness you know um so our simple um simple processes that we were able to accomplish and just have autonomy over are now like part of a bigger piece, right? And so with the enterprise, I feel like, you know, um, over time too, it kind of goes through a cycle of like centralization and decentralization um, from, you know, where, where processes become like, um, there is a global um, center, center of excellence, let's say, and, and then it's, pushed down to the uh, various regions. And then um, there, then like after a few years, there's a pullback. And I've seen this happen several times now in my career, right? Where then there's the decentralization because then um, what happens is it's not as nimble for the local markets to be able to execute when they're dependent on the global piece. And so I think 
ultimately it it needs to strike that balance where there's where there's a uh, more transparency but the ability to collaborate quicker across across the team so it's kind of an in-between model that i think probably is where it needs to net out over time <laughs> yeah yeah oh i i actually also went through an acquisition in my career from uh, ibm i was at like a well, I wasn't a small company, but we were like 3,000 people. Um, and then IBM acquired us. And yeah, it was definitely had some changes that happened. And even seeing it, you know, at NAC, as we went from like 5 to 10 to 20 to 30 people, I cannot only, like, I, I really look back and I'm just in awe that companies who have hundreds of thousands of employees are able to work together and get things done because yeah you really i i used to hate process but i definitely can appreciate it now and how, how important it is i think i'm the same you know like um when you're in a smaller company um process seems to be so bureaucratic, but then as things scale and get bigger, it's really, it becomes the way in which you are really able to manage things a little bit with more quality, right? And standardization. It's like, I remember yeah. when, for example, uh, one, one of the years, years ago now, um, I went to, we were traveling abroad and then we went to a Starbucks, right? And the experience, even though it was like in a different country altogether, you still were able to recognize certain things and then understand like, oh yeah, this is like what I'm going to get. I'm going to get a latte, you know? And, and so yeah. there are some nice things about that, right? Because then you know that it's a consistent process. Um, yeah. so I, I like yeah. that piece. And I, I feel like, you know, I mean, some people may disagree, but for me, like in the sense of enterprise, I think that that's really how you can really manage it. Um, uh, but then I do feel like, you know, there's processes that you can handle and then there's flavors that you can, um, infuse that are related to the market. And I'm sure similar to like a Starbucks model, there's probably certain, certain drink varietals that are available only in certain areas because of that area. So stuff like that, yeah. I feel like is still important. Yeah. Yeah. It is pretty cool when you look at stuff like that, where, can be anywhere in the world, but find that thing that is, you know, just the same. It kind of brings you home a little bit. Um, and, and, and yeah, it's kind of neat with the local variations. I remember I <laughs> was, a, I did like a 10 day trip to Portugal. And I don't know, on the last day, I wanted like some comfort food or something so we went to a mcdonald's and it was yeah pretty much the same but then they had this like local pork dish that was on the menu that could never get it at home but everything else tastes exactly the same um so yeah i i appreciate i i am a believer in the process part of things now when i used to really resist it um I, I liked what you were saying about centralization and decentralization. We definitely 
hear that with like every company that we work with. And to your point, they're usually in some point of going back or trying a new one. What, why do you think that is? Why are, like, why are companies always going back and forth and why is the grass always greener on the other side? I think it's because, you know, like, um, so the centralization, right? Um, because everything is super standardized that way. You can push things out uh, or, or there's more control when it's centralized, right? So if there is a uh, governing org or group that is producing something and, and says, okay, these are the tools and templates that we will use, um, that's one thing. But then what happens is uh, I think there what'll set it off is like an instance where something doesn't fit or work right and then it begins to unravel a little bit there because then they're like well hey let's just do it this way because we need it to work for this and this is just not going to work for us and then there becomes more and more and more of that and so the pull becomes you know what it might be better for us to decentralize because then we're able to really address these things x y and z that are critical for our market area region whatever it is right and so i think that that's what happens over time and then and then i think coupled with maybe resource constraints then the centralization model also becomes difficult because then um it's just doesn't it's not able to scale or be as nimble as that decentralized state so then what happens in the yeah. decentralized state is then it becomes further from you know like then there's not as close oversight to the branding and then the experience and so then it creates like uh nooks of differences across where it's not like the the brand consistency isn't as strong per se and so i mean that's not always the case but sometimes you see a little bit of that when it is decentralized because there is that more autonomy to those regions and so i think like that's why i feel you know once if if we are able to reach a happy medium between those two states that would be that would be key right because uh, it would be the best of both worlds but oftentimes it's either resources that plays a constraint or the needs of the local regions that uh overarch the ability to stay centralized so yeah yeah that's kind of my feel yeah, I, I I really agree with a lot of that. Um, I don't think centralized or decentralized is the answer, which I think is why everyone's kind of going back and forth. I mm -hmm. totally agree. When you go centralized and your ops team is very involved, then they become a bottleneck, not because they're not working hard or whatever. It's just they have too much to do um and then they they start really getting sucked into like the campaign execution world where they could likely be spending their time on more strategic uh components of operations and uh it's good the centralized model is good for consistency because you have somebody who's able to control that but I think it slows down the campaigns and it also makes it so that it's harder to be creative or make any changes off of like the rigid systems that you have set up. Decentralized, 
you know, I think it, it can go much faster. Um, it gives marketers that leeway and creativity and freedom that so many of them want. But I think it historically has been riddled with issues because there's like zero control. And we always hear about this like wild west. I <laughs> We want to do a campaign around this, but it's like ever all these marketers end up in the wild west and that's usually when they got to rein it in and make it centralized again our belief is obviously that uh, there's always has been like a big technology gap in there and there just hasn't been good systems and tools to help uh, really a lot enable this hybrid model um so yeah, that's kind of my thought on it. We talk about this all the time and it seems to be a conversation that comes up with everyone, especially in the enterprise. Yeah, I feel like it is definitely an ongoing debate. And I think, you know, actually, um, maybe that's where it manifests in enterprise, right? Because like um, at the time of your, the startup mode, you're just one, one org. Yeah that's able to be like as organic and dynamic as you can be, right? And then as you scale and scale, there needs to be a means to kind of coordinate that. Um, and so that's where I think the centralized model is born. But then it, you're right, like I think um, over time, it does feel like it's stifling in terms of like creativity or the ability to do things quicker. There's a lot of pieces to that, right? So. I feel like you're right where if there are tools that allow us to kind of loosen those reins and allow for both, that would be like the ideal state, right? So it can still be managed, but um, given with some some leeway to have that um, creative ability, um, yeah. that would be like yeah. the best case. Yeah, the guardrails um, that 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 prevent the wild west from happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Um so yeah, yeah, and I agree. I think it really is an enterprise problem. Like I remember when I worked at IBM, I was I was at the time on like the person who takes things and put it into Eloqua at the time. But like the amount of people who are involved, like the strategy person, the copywriter, the designer, the, you know, the web team who would actually code our emails, like it was unbelievable, the coordination that had to happen there. And I think we were very much in the centralized model um, and we just kind of made it work and everyone, it was not perfect at all. But I think the other thing that happens is people invest so much time and energy into creating the model, whether it's decentralized and centralized. And it's hard to get people to change that because there's so much connected to it. Agree. I mean, that's that is there are so many pieces that are connected to it. Um, but like. And, and, you know, from an ops perspective, that's my challenge, right? Because um, ultimately, we need to be able to measure and track. 
the performance of our campaigns. When it's decentralized, it gets a lot trickier, right? Because then it introduces a lot of potentially different systems um, and technologies that aren't standard. So then you're having to like either do manual workarounds um, or try to quickly pivot to connect pipes that weren't already there, right? And so yeah. that's I think that that's just the ongoing challenge. But I think part of it too is if there are so it's it's several things, right? So systems, but also um, other systems that improve the facility of making these connections quicker too, like to translate all of these mm -hmm. pieces right? like that, that middleware yeah. that, that needs to be able to like, I can plug this in here um, and get the same reporting or, oh yeah, let's do this and plug it over there. Um, but right now it's, it's yeah. not as simple. <laughs> it would be nice if there were like some standards across the industry, you know, where, where it was just like plug and play and a lead is a lead and a contact is a contact everywhere one day wouldn't that be nirvana <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so i want to talk a little bit about email creation i know that's something that's a big part of your job um what you know what does that look like for you right now what are some of the you know, what are some of the challenges that you've seen and, and also um, how are you addressing them? So um, the challenges that we're seeing, well, one of the things that we have implemented um, in the last few years are we do have modules, um, standardized modules in place for our emails, which makes it easier, right? Because, you know, we are trying to, and that is like the piece where it's centralized yet it's somewhat decentralized because we're enabling our local regions to leverage those too. Um, where it gets tricky um, when we do use our, um, when we do use that is that, you know, character counts, for example, are critical, right? But then when you go and try to apply them to um, our European countries, and in me, there's, there's words that, there's single words that are sometimes like, um, go beyond our character counts, obviously. And so those are tweaks that we need to make. And so those are, you know, that's, that's where we do need to have, you know, templates and then exceptions and things like that. So um, working with, working with you guys has really helped us um, with that and allow for those customizations um, within, you know, our modules um, and apply them to the respective regions as needed kind of thing. So that's that's been critical um so with our email email creation right so since we are dealing with standardized templates it helps with so many different pieces right um it, it helps with the overall branding look and feel um logos and and then just making sure that we're able to um replicate that across the board is is one thing and so um i think the challenge before that we had it has been definitely simplified with um with your help with knack as well as just um our templates in marketo where we're able to just make sure that we're all using the standard set nice um and so 
So, so yeah, so when it, that, and that sounds great. I mean, being able to simplify your process um, to be able to get things out the door quicker, uh, to work with Marketo and whatever platform that you're sending out from. Mm -hmm. um, so happy to hear that we're helping with that. Um, in, in your view, what, what role does email play in the overall marketing channels right now? It is really foundational for us still because um, that is the, you know, the way in which we communicate the most regular to our audience, right? So um, from our newsletters, our product updates, that is just um, a standard touch point that we have leveraged and has been really um, successful for us to reach our clients. And, and now though, um, what we need to, what we've had to do too, is like, look at who we're touching and especially with the increased number of virtual events, ensuring that our emails, you know, um, we're, we're still being mindful about the emails that we're sending, right? Because I feel like everyone is getting a lot more emails and it, like what we started the conversation with just making sure that um that we're not fatiguing everybody and we're still like addressing the audience the right audience at the right time with our emails um that's that's been the critical balance that we've been um trying to strike so getting creative of like okay if if we want to contact john doe and he is part of our newsletter, but we want to invite them to an event too. It's like, how do we think about ways in which we can just like consolidate those communications, include them or um, change them in a way that will still allow us to reach the audience, but not inundate them with, with so many emails. So it's, it's yeah. a constant um, evaluation on our part, especially as we look, you know, as we look at the different events and different comms that we need to push out. Yeah, I'd imagine it would get a lot more difficult with ju just making sure you're not hitting the same people over and over with the overlap and uh, additional events that are happening. So, so Rose, I mean, it sounds like uh, at Verizon, you know, you've got a busy job, you're doing a lot of stuff. We're a big believer of work-life balance. So when you're not, you know, uh, you know, doing uh, your day job. What what do you do for fun? How do you uh, maintain that balance? I try to decompress. Well, you know what? Running helps me keep my sanity. And I try to schedule that. Sometimes not as successful as I'd like to, but I try to make sure that I run at least a few times a week. Um, that's one thing. But also spending time with family that's not screen related is also important, right? So we try to, um, on the weekends, do bike rides when we can, um, which is fun, right? Because actually that is a new um, new skill my son learned over COVID. <laughs> At the beginning of actually yeah. just pre-COVID, he, he started riding his bike more often, but it's become a fun family pastime, you know, <laughs> that we can do. Yeah, and it's well. easy to just, you know, get out of the house and just ride around, which is, easy enough For to sure. do. <laughs> yeah, bikes were like, I think they were sold out everywhere uh, up here. At least you can get bikes everyone. And, and it, it's been kind of nice seeing everybody outside and exploring the city and going around. Yeah, that's awesome. 
I actually just bought some cross-country skis um, because I feel like I've never done it before, but I feel like it's a good COVID activity that, you know, it doesn't matter if we're in quarantine, you can go out and do it. Um, you can. Well, we can't really use those over here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that probably went not work. Awesome. have to go, go, go somewhere with some snow. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it should be fun. It's a long winter up here, so we need activities. That is awesome. Is that something little ones can do? Uh, like, my oldest is five, so I'm not sure if she can do that yet. My wife and I got some, but yeah, eventually, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's fun. Um, who is someone you uh, admire in the business community and why? Hmm. Who is someone I admire in the business community? Um, in, let's see, I, that, that's, that's a tough question because so many things come to mind right now. Um, in the business community. Uh, yeah, this is the one that um, I usually stump people with, but if you have a couple of examples, you can share. Examples in the business community. You know, um, I, I really admire, so, Hans Vesberg, who is our president at Verizon Media, or at Verizon, um, I, I admire him because of the culture that he's created at Verizon. And I will say that, you know, in this day and age, it's really critical um, to, to create that culture uh, that is diverse and inclusive. And one of the things that, um, I feel very proud of as being part of Verizon is uh, that dedication to making sure that that environment exists at the workplace. Um, so that's one, that's one really that stands out because um, all of the things that we've been doing at the company, I feel are really important, especially in this day and age where, you know, there's a lot of things going on. Um, you know, it's election year. There's just, many things that I feel like this is uh, important to think about um, where culture and community really come into play in the workplace and that we're all in this together. Um, and so creating that that environment is is really important, even remotely, you know? Um, there's programs yep. that we've pushed, we've uh, experienced, um, especially now in the time of COVID, that really helps with that. Because I think that that's, that's critical to um, to any workplace at this time. And, and, the, and it's critical in business for businesses to consider that and keep that top of mind. Absolutely. Yeah, that's great to hear. I think it is super important now more than ever. Um, we, we recently, or a couple of years ago, we kind of wrote down all of our core values at NAC which again kind of like the process thing i used to think that that's like you know 
a nice piece of paper, but it doesn't do anything, but it's so huge. Like your culture is everything at your company. And uh, nice to hear that they're making you feel connected, uh, especially during these times. That's awesome. Uh, last one, Rose, what, what's one piece of career advice that you picked up over the years that you think might help others? Uh, I think that it's always important to be curious and to push the limits and and test, right? Because um, that keeps things fresh and it keeps you on the cutting edge of of testing things out in the marketplace, right? Um, it's so easy to say, oh, but we've never done that. Well, that's almost the reason why you really need to look at things that you haven't done um, to to investigate how this could improve your business or how it can expand your business. So that is one thing that I would definitely recommend. Keep that curiosity um, and, and don't be afraid to test and innovate. That's a great, uh, great one to end on, I think. Uh, it is, it's very easy to just get stuck in the status quo and say, well, we do it this way. Absolutely. You know, I don't want to change. Maybe it won't be better, but maybe it will be a lot better and you'll never know unless you try it. Um, so thanks so much, Rose. It was great, uh, great chatting with you. We covered a lot about how you got into marketing operations, what it's like to work in, in large enterprise, how you go through an acquisition successfully and uh, also about email and the unique challenges of a centralized and decentralized model. It's been great chatting with you, Rose. Thanks so much for, for your time today. Thanks so much. I really enjoyed chatting with you too. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Unsubscribed, a podcast created by Knack. If you enjoyed this episode of Unsubscribed, be sure to subscribe to my podcast and leave a review on your favorite podcast player. If you have any feedback or want to chat, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn or follow me on Twitter at marketing underscore 101. Cheers.